Welcome to this episode of the ASHRA podcast. I'm Fred Wine, Director of Communications with the American Sexual Health Association, ASHA. And our topic today is men, healthy relationships, and the new masculinity, which I'm not sure I know exactly what that is, but that's okay because we have somebody here who does. Uh, to help us think through how we can engage with men about relationships and sexual health, we're talking with licensed marriage and family therapist, Crystal DeSantis. She's a psychotherapist, a sex educator, and she's written a book called Strong, a relationship field guide for the modern man. So I think, Crystal, you're the one we need to talk to. So thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So when I was doing a bit of research ahead of this, I was looking at your bio sketch and I saw this, uh, Crystal's expertise and her counseling work has always been hyper-masculine men and the women who love them. Um, so define that for me. Are we talking about Rambo and Mike Tyson or what is, what is hyper-masculinity exactly? Yeah, I mean, kind of. So there's um, an idea of what it means to be masculine that over the years has kind of ended up becoming almost... Um, like a caricature of what masculinity is, like you said, kind of the Rambo, the over um, emphasis on physical strength, sometimes the overemphasis on stoicism, um, which is, you know, kind of getting away from true stoicism, which is actually emotional self-mastery, but the idea of more emotional suppression, right? That real men, quote unquote, don't cry. Real men are physically, you know, very robust. Um, and that they're sexually um, almost hmm, like the player, right? right? They come in, they swoop in, they, you know, sweep a woman off her feet and then kiss her and then leave uh, right away on his horse into the sunset. And so that idea of masculinity has kind of gotten um, codified into the American psyche over the last couple of decades. Yeah, that's a good point about um, uh, this this archetype of masculinity. It's not just about being ripped and punching somebody. It's also about, as you said, uh, maybe a more stoic persona, maybe not being mm -hmm. emotionally vulnerable, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's that's yeah, that's that's insightful. That's see, I I I, I knew you were the one I should talk to about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, and yeah. Well, I do want to definitely, you know, say that the work that I do is obviously built on a lot of men's work. Um, so there are, yeah, there's a lot of men that have been doing research into masculinity. Um, and my book kind of is based on their work of, you know, anthropology, um, men's examination of masculine tropes, um, and all of that. And so I'm kind of taking it to the next level of what does that mean for relationships? Okay. So speaking of relationships, um, you talk about creating, quote, healthy relationships in a way that is empowering and inspiring rather than blaming and shaming. So is this, are you talking about what I would think of as classic male bashing there? What, what do you mean there by blaming and shaming? Yeah. So what I saw, um, and again, so one of the things that I think maybe is important for me to share is that I did not grow up in America. So I grew up in a different culture. Um, and so when I moved here, one of the things I saw was that, you know, there's a real polarization of, of gender tropes in America. Um, and, you know, of course, there are lots of different gender dynamics throughout the world. Um, but one of the things I saw was that, you know, it men had 
kind of two options. Either they could be the hero or they could be the villain. Um, and the hero is obviously much more attractive. Um, or there was the other option, which um, Robert Glover talks about in his book, which is the nice guy. So the guy that then says, you know what, I'm going to just say I don't matter at all. My needs don't matter. Whatever I can do to make my partner happy, um, even if that means sacrificing myself, I'll do it because I don't want to be, I, I'm not going to pretend to be the hero, right? I'm not going to try to be that guy, um, but I don't want to be the villain. So I'll be the nice guy. Mm, and so yeah. that's, yeah. Okay. And, and I'm curious um, if, if you have any thoughts about like, what does all of this do to the mental health and self-image of boys and young men? I mean, it's almost like they have to choose from pretty rigid, you, you know, pathways. I mean, mm -hmm. what, I mean, what, what do you think about that? I mean, that's really where I see the damage, right? And so, you know, Tony Porter, he writes this, uh, he wrote this book called The Man Box, which he talks about that, like, boys are given the choice between which box do you want to go into? Um, and that there's, you know, specific parameters for each box, but no box allows them to be fully human. Um, and that is really where I think where I saw a lot of the hindrance of um, men's own accessibility to their emotions, to their full humanity, to their ability to express themselves fully, because they were always cognizant of the, the confines of the masculine box that they were in. Um, and that, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna go off script for a question if you'll allow me to. Um, mm -hmm. So what do we do to support men to rectify that or get or help them explore more options i mean as as therapists what how do you help help your, your male clients i mean a big part of this is i think you know not to put it too strongly or too lightly but you know i'm really loving seeing a lot more conversation among men about the need for more emotional intelligence um, not just to be more attractive to women, but also for their own sake, right? Like we talk about the rates of male depression, the rates of male suicide, um, the you know inability for men to necessarily, I mean, to really, well, let me rephrase that, the inability for men to feel fully connected to their fathers or their children or their spouses. Um, you know, all of that, I, I'm hearing a movement of men starting to say like, we need men to be able to embrace their full humanity. And I think that's where as therapists, um, making therapy more accessible to men is gonna be where I think we come in a lot. That's interesting, yeah, because there's actually a stigma around seeking therapy in general, right? And I mm -hmm. imagine for men, it's almost like it's an admission of weakness. You know, if I were strong, if I were better, if I were a real mm -hmm. man, I wouldn't need mm -hmm. to go sit on the couch and talk to Crystal DeSantis for you. Absolutely. Know, right? Absolutely. And there's a lot of shame around that sometimes when they come in um, that, you know, I can't believe I, I'm at this point. You know, right. that this is the lowest point you could possibly be is to admit that you need help. Um, and so that's really why you know, I created this model and I wrote my book and I started my practice by calling it strong um, to kind of hopefully try to shift against that narrative. Um, the other thing that, you know, it's really interesting, the field of psychology started off very male, um, but then after, you know, as it progressed, it became progressively more female to the point that now almost 80% of new um, counseling graduates are female. And so I think that also 
you know, in some ways I've seen that make therapy seem hmm, a little bit more geared towards women. I mean, mm -hmm. even if you just look at the, you know, the messages out there, you know, talk about self-care, talk about therapy, talk about, you know, self-love. Um, sometimes just like on a broad sketch, which if you look at any kind of media or you look it up on Instagram or TikTok, it tends very female. Um, the, the influencers that are talking about it, the therapists that are out there, it's mostly women. Um, yeah. Which can just, yeah. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. So uh, I want to, something you said earlier struck me a bit about like um, uh, men have to choose their boxes and like one, one of the pathways is becoming the good guy who wants to seek their partner. They maybe don't aspire to the hero type, but they don't want to be a villain. So they sort of find a middle ground there. Um, I know you, you've talked in your work about like, like basic skills. I, saw, I think I saw something on your website for basic skills for a healthy relationship that women mm -hmm. look for a partner and how men can fulfill them. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So how, what are women looking for? How can yeah. men fulfill them and then maybe do so without losing track of themselves? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really what I wanted to do with writing this book is, you know, so the anthropologist that I had spoken of earlier, um, he did a, you know, longitudinal research study where he looked at men in multiple different countries, multiple different cultures, and found that men tended to inhabit their masculine identity in three ways. And I think most men would recognize it um, as the protector, the provider, and the procreator. Um, and so, you know, these were the things that I, you know, as I was writing this book of, you know, how can we take those elements that seem to be very integral to the sense of masculinity that many men want to inhabit in their relationships, and then just adapt it to be applicable to the modern relationship and attractive to the modern woman, right? And so I think if we look at even those tropes of, you know, the hero, he's physically strong, right? He is the protector. Um, and then if we look at back in the day of the guy that was the sole provider, right? He would come home, honey, I'm home. Yeah, sure. Buy that new dress, right? And kids, we're going to Disneyland, mm -hmm. right? And it was like, yay, he's the hero, right? But then just the reality of the modern world is, you know, unfortunately, our economy doesn't really support that anymore. Um, and the men that were the sole providers were finding themselves kind of working themselves to the bone in jobs that weren't necessarily fulfilling, mm -hmm. right? And so it wasn't back, like back in the day where you had a career where you could find your identity as like, I am the sole provider and I do a job that I'm like, you know, it's my career. I work there for decades until I retire with full honors. Instead, it's guys just trying to make ends meet and trying to fulfill the role of sole provider but in this economy, that meant working 80 hours a week, um, which, again, the world has changed. And so it was kind of setting men up for failure in that way. Same thing with the procreator of, you know, I was talking to a friend and uh, like, and he, he actually, he was like, do you think this is why men send dick pics on, you know, dating apps? Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I, it could be because this idea that like, here is my penis, you want this as a woman, like, let's go. This is what makes me attractive, right? Um, my virility, my performance in bed. And, you know, this kind of culture that emphasizes male, um, you know, I mean, kind of rape culture in a lot of ways, right? That your worth as a man is predicated on your ability to, you know, 
uh, sleep with a lot of women, impress a lot of women sexually. Um, and again, that causes a lot of harm and causes a lot of damage. And, and it doesn't really make men happy either, right? Because then you see men, at least what I saw in then therapy, if men then feeling less than if they can't perform sexually, right? If they're expected right. to just be, you know, on um, any time, up for it all the time, like that's not real life sure. for a lot of men, right? Yeah, exactly. And as I was listening to you, I think of all the articles I see pop up in my news feeds about about porn and how porn's mm -hmm. affecting young men and porn addiction and all that. And I don't know, it's hard for me. So I don't, I have a lot of expertise in area in that area. So it's hard for me to separate really what's what's true from what's not. But I'm curious what you think about that. I mean, I mean, does does porn feed into this thing, this thing of like these expect like unrealistic outsized expectations and just the disporting aspects. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean porn is just so performative, right? And this idea that this is what male sex, this is peak male sexuality, the guy that is always hard, that can perform for like, you know, uh, I don't know, a full hour, <laughs> satisfy sure. multiple different women, yeah. be very athletic in the way that he satisfies. Um, it sets men up again for this idea of, um, you know, your performance is who you are. And if you can't perform, if you can't protect your partner, right, if you're not willing to, I don't know, beat up every guy at the bar who looks at your woman, uh, yeah. if you cannot be a sole provider and give the wife, you know, the house that she wants or take the kids to Disneyland, right. or and you can't go at it for 45 minutes at a time, then you're a loser. And all of that does tons of damage to males, to the male psyche it's completely a losing, it's a losing proposition. It does not work. Um, let, yeah. me, let me ask you about men and same-sex relationships. We've been talking basically about heterosexual relationships, but what mm -hmm. about uh, gay and, and bisexual men? Um, and I guess even a larger conversation would be around, around transgender men. I'm just mm -hmm. curious, how does any of this apply to them? Any differences? What, what, are, what are you seeing out there? I see... I see actually a lot of hypermasculinity in the gay culture um, because, you know, then it's two men. And one of the things that also that men are socialized to do with other men is compete. Um, and so, you know, in the, um, what I've seen in, in some gay couples is it becomes all about that maybe they start a business together or they compete with who's bringing home, you know, the bigger salary or they in, um, you know, with their bodies, they kind of compete as to who has the lower body fat, who can. Um, and so that is where I sometimes see it almost become, yeah, that hyper masculinity in that way. And do you think it's fair to say that, that um, gay men may actually have it tougher in some ways because we talked about all like all the, the 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 stuff that men in general deal with and it's 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 hard to go to therapy but then on top of that gay men have to still deal with the fact that society isn't always accepting or welcoming of well the fact mm -hmm. that you're gay men right mm -hmm. yeah it like is a triple whammy absolutely absolutely and trans men is you know it's even harder right um, so i think yeah there's a lot yeah I mean, what I will say is I, I've seen, and again, I live in Austin, which is, you know, its own unique space, um, but I've seen more gay men access therapy um, and trans men be open to accessing therapy um, compared to heterosexual mm. cisgender straight men, um, which again, so that's just another unique little thing is, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, and it's this is a good reminder, just as I'm listening to you there, to think about the diversity that exists among each demographic. You just can't talk about men in general. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of nuances there around gender ID and sexual orientation, all this kind of stuff that you really have to sort of tailor tailor the approach um, mm -hmm. to, to each guy. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. um, those are some good insights. Thank you for all of that. Uh, let me ask you sort of a bonus question. Um, mm -hmm. So, and this is towards women. So do straight cis women, women who are biologically assigned female gender at birth mm -hmm. and identify as, as, mm -hmm. as a woman, as we probably traditionally think of them, if that's okay mm -hmm. to say, do they still want the fairy tale relationship in the wedding, or is that just passe now? I mean, is there a market for a modern day Prince Charming, or, or does that just feed into all these tropes and stereotypes? So, I think this is definitely where, you know, there is an interplay here, right? Because what I will say is there are lots of cisgender women um, who are heterosexual that still want masculine men. And I think that's also where women need a reckoning of being able to recognize what, what that can look like now versus once again, setting up men for failure. Because what uh, hmm, I guess if I'm gonna be really honest, what I would say is healthy women don't necessarily look for that anymore. Women that are still hmm, maybe objectifying men in a certain way and expect to be objectified in return, do mm. look for that. That's a fascinating concept. Women who objectify men and then in turn expect or just accept as normal that they will be objectified. I never thought about that. Just just the interplay back and forth yeah. and it feeds off the other maybe. Okay. Yeah. So I would so, say women that are healthier um, or more, I guess, self-aware or want something different. Um, and that's where I broke it down into those four uh, S's that men can embody and that women can also support in a healthy relationship. All right. So let me ask you about the book. I mentioned uh, the title, Strong, a Relationship Field Guide for the Modern Man. So uh, I assume you can get that all the normal places, Amazon, maybe your website. Where can people mm -hmm. find the book and connect with you? Yeah, um, Amazon, and then it's on Barnes and Nobles online. Um, if you're in Austin, Book People, um, actually Book People has multiple locations, but um, yeah, and then of course on my website, yeah. Okay, and what is your website? Um, the book website is just strong.love. Okay, fair enough. All right, Crystal DeSantis, men's health advocate, I think I could say, mm -hmm. a therapist. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, we really need to engage more with men on this topic. And I know you're working tirelessly to do that. It seems pretty clear. So thank you for that work and for spending some time with us. Uh, if you're up for it, maybe we can revisit some of these topics. We just, there's a lot of stuff we just sort of touched on and then ran to something else. So I would love to continue the conversation with you. There's a lot to cover here. So th yeah. thank you again. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, intrepid listener, for turning in to this conversation. Uh, you check back with us often as we're rolling out new sources pretty frequently. Also send feedback, including ideas for future podcast episodes to info at ashasexualhealth.org. All this along with connections to Crystal will be in the show notes. So until next time, take care, everybody. Bye.